Good morning. There it is. Who had the heat on driving in this morning? Yeah, come on. It's May 28th. Let's go. Uh, you can open your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. We're going to be reading out of there. And my name is John Chanel. I serve here at Watkinsville as the college pastor since January of this year. And I'm married to Joy. We have five children, ages 14 to four. So we will not turn away prayer at any corner. Uh, we will take everything we can get. But the focus of our sort of topic today is the greatness of God. And I want to start by telling you a little bit of a story. And it's going to be one of these cliffhangers where I tell you part of it, and then I'll tell you the rest of it at the end. It's sort of a trick to try to get your attention at the very end. So I just want you to be aware before I start. So the story goes like this. There was an app created in 2013 called Mailbox. It was a mail client. It was made out in Silicon Valley. And it launched in February of 2013. And it was introducing these new features of swiping your email. So does anybody swipe their emails like to the trash or to archive? Well, that feature was introduced by Mailbox. And they had a couple other email snoozing and they sent out a video of these new features. And within four hours, that video had a 100,000 views. And then within a couple weeks, they realized that Enrolling this out, they needed to have a wait list because their servers weren't going to be able to handle all the interest they had for users. So pretty quickly, there were 800,000 people on the wait list for this app. And it was so successful that within 37 days of being launched, it was acquired by Dropbox. Okay? So Mailbox. That's their, that part of the story. The next part of the story is our personal story, the Chanel family. In 2013, in the same year... A month after Dropbox acquired Mailbox, our third child, David, was born on April 22nd of 2013. We quickly moved to Pigeon Forge to direct a campus ministry summer program for eight weeks. So we had a newborn. We're doing that program. By the end of the program, I get a call from my boss saying he's going to take another role in the country with a group called the Navigators and that I was going to step into the leadership role. And then fast forward into the fall and then my wife, Joy, had some serious health challenges that we were navigating. And so all this led up to October 26th. I was on a men's retreat at Lake Martin in Alabama, and I was out on a dock, and I just was a little bit overwhelmed by life. And I just remember crying out to God because on top of all of that, we were a part of a support-based ministry that my, our ministry funds were running low. And so I was just crying out to God, God, would you help us? We need your help. So that was October 26th, okay? So we'll pick that up in a little bit. First Chronicles 29, our passage for the day, starting in verse 9, says this. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. 
But who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. For we are strangers before you and sojourners as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts toward you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord, to the king. And they offered sacrifices to the Lord, and on the next day offered burnt offerings to the Lord, 1,000 bulls, 1,000 rams, 1,000 lambs, with their drink offerings and sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. Okay, so the context there is a passage of David gathering offerings for the building of a temple where God's Holy Spirit, God's Spirit would dwell. So I want to say a couple disclaimers as we get into this. The first disclaimer is that whenever you're preaching kind of for the first time in a new role at a church, the greatness of God as a topic is really kind of like a softball. Because nobody's going to come up here afterwards and be like, John, I disagree, right? You'd be in trouble if you said that. So that's kind of one thing that I'm appreciative of today. Another thing is that one of the testimonies to me of the greatness of God is the fact that Joy, my wife, said yes. Amen? Yeah, see? So at that time, we're in First Chronicles. It's off the beaten path in the scriptures. And fortunately for me, when Joy and I were getting to know each other, she kind of liked that I knew random, obscure parts of Scripture. So there were, at that time for us, there were sort of three kind of men that you needed to be aware of at any kind of Christian gathering, an evangelical gathering. You needed to be aware of the, the guitar guy, okay? Not Caleb Barnes. He is the exception to this rule, but the guitar guy whips out the guitar at the campfire. Watch out. You got to be aware of the guy who his life verse is out of the Minor Prophets, because those Baptist girls, when they hear the minor prophets being quoted, they're like, whoo, man, this guy knows scripture. And the third group you got to be aware of is the medical missionary. The medical missionary is a dangerous double-edged sword of spiritual fervor and earning potential. So some girls are like, I'll go and trek up into the mountains of the Himalayas, but I would love to have some nice Lululemon leggings to go there. I mean, I need some sturdy, you know, I need a pocket for my iPhone. So at that time for Joy, I had only to offer her one of any of those lists. And so when she stepped into my 1988 two-door Honda Civic hatchback, she had a decision to make in life. Am I going to go with this man? And if you're thinking maybe we dated in the late 80s or the early 90s, that's not the case. We dated in 2005. And for the rest of you in the audience who are hearing that, you're saying, John, there was never a time, no matter decade, where a two-door Honda Civic hatchback was cool. And I will not contend that point. But maybe for you, if you are having a down day, 
our testimony can be an encouragement to you that we have a great God in heaven who led this woman to marry this man. That helps me. So the context, again, is that people are offering because they so love God and so believe in his greatness that they want to offer to him generously for the building of his house. It was really an act of worship for them. When I think of the glory of God, and I love that we're outdoors right now, praise the Lord, because we get a chance to look at the skies, right? So I don't know about you, but I always think about nature when I think about the glory of God. I think about times in my life where I've had the opportunity to watch a sunset over the Puget Sound and just ponder the vastness of the Pacific Ocean, or to stand on a mountaintop like over Yosemite Valley, watching a sunrise and seeing the beams of light hitting on Half Dome in Yosemite Valley and just feeling incredibly small in those moments. My first summer of college, I had the opportunity to serve with a ministry called a Christian Ministry in the National Parks. So two buddies and I from Pennsylvania jumped in a Toyota 4Runner and we drove out to Wyoming and we served in Yellowstone National Park. And pretty quick being there, I memorized a portion of Psalm 19, which says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no voice or language where their speech is not heard. So praise God that above us, God is preaching a sermon. If you lose track of get distracted from my sermon, just look up. Because God is preaching a sermon every day in all places in a universal language that we all can hear. Praise be to God. One really smart person said this. They said that the mechanization of time may have been one of the most dangerous creations or technological advancements. Because up until that point, when we had clocks and watches and iPhones, people had to look to the sky to figure out what time of day it was. And so repeatedly throughout the day, they had to look at the skies that were proclaiming the glory of God as they ordered their day. So how often do you look and listen at the sky? I've been trying to do that this week, and it's been just ministering to my soul <clears throat> to say the vastness of what we see above is a proclamation of the glory of a great God. So make it a habit often to look to the skies, even during my sermon. So three ideas from this passage in 1 Chronicles 29. <clears throat> One, knowing God's greatness energizes our going, or for Watkinsville First Baptist, our still going. We've been talking about that, the still going challenge. Knowing his greatness will energize that. Number two, our offering to him reflects our knowledge of his greatness or the lack of knowledge of his greatness that we have. And number three, being wholehearted followers requires us to trust in his greatness. So the greatness of God, in chapter 29, verses 11 and 12, it says this, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might and in your hand it is to give strength to all. I want you to follow the alls of this passage. I have a good friend who always says, all means all, and that's all all means. You can think of it this way. If there is a circle, all means that there's nothing outside of that circle. Everything is within the boundaries of that circle. 
So when we use all in reference to God, it means that there is nothing outside of his rule. Let me give you a list of some of the things that it reminded us of. It said that all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is his. It says that he is exalted as head above all. Research shows that without a head, nobody can live. Check the research. He's exalted as head above all. He rules over all. In his hand, it is to give strength to all. If you have strength today, there's only one place you can get that from. It's from God, our great God in heaven. All things come from him. There's nothing that you own or nothing that you have or nothing you could ascribe to your name. It's all his. And then he said that all this abundance that Israel was offering comes from his hand and it is all his own. Lots of alls. So I want to just highlight a couple. One, all that is in the heavens. Astronomers, we, we have a lot of guesses as to how many stars are in the heavens, right? Guesses range from like one septillion, which is like one with 24 zeros. Or we have 100 billion galaxies with 100 billion stars each, which is basically 10 to the 28th power. So somewhere in the range of about four zeros is our best guess. That's a pretty wide range in case you're keeping track or you're a statistician out there. Isaiah 40, 25 and 26 tells us this about God and the stars that he has placed in the heavens. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings their host out by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. There is not one star out of one septillion stars that is missing because of the great power and the might of Almighty God. Not only that, but he calls them all by name. How many names do you personally know? Some of you are like a lot fewer than I used to know. For me, my best guess, I, I, I charted like Facebook friends and other things. I'm like, how many names might I know? And I'm guessing around three to 4,000-ish. Somewhere in there. God knows the name of every single star. We've run out of names to name stars. So we just use numbers now. And God calls them all by name. Not one of them is missing because of his great might and power. He also, David says that all that is in the earth is the Lord's. So an example of that. Our oceans, how much water do they hold? Well, some guesses are they hold 352 quintillion gallons. That's 352 with 18 zeros of water. So if we stacked those milk jugs around here, we'd be in trouble. There'd be a lot of them. This is what Isaiah 40 says about that. It says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Now, God doesn't have a physical body where he measured out all the oceans and he put it all in the hollow of his hand. But what he's saying is that the waters are so insignificant when compared to the greatness of God that it's as if it was all in the hollow of his hand as he measured it out. Do you know how much water I can hold in the hollow of my hand? I found out this morning. It's somewhere between one teaspoon and one and a half teaspoons of water in the hollow of my hand. Feel free, kids, to go home today and just try that out. 
Just do it over the sink. So one to one and a half teaspoons to me is like 352 quintillion gallons to God. To give you an idea of how much water that is, put in another sense, there's 321 cubic miles of water in our ocean. So if I were to travel cubic, three-dimensional object, if we were to travel from right where I'm standing to the stoplight in downtown Watkinsville, that's about a mile. That would be one side of that cube. And then you would have to go a mile high and a mile deep, and that would be one cubic mile of water. There's 321 million cubic miles of water, and God measured them out in the hollow of his hand. How awesome and how great God is. If God is for us, who can be against us? Revelation 4.11 says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's not one tree or plant on this property that it wasn't by the will of God that it exists and that it was created. How are you impacted daily by meditating on the greatness of God? And if you're like me, you have to say, how am I missing out by disregarding the greatness of God in my daily life? Tim Keller, who many of you probably have read his books or heard sermons that he preached, passed away on May 19th. Tim Keller had a large influence, his books and his teaching, on my life and on our marriage. This is what he said about the greatness of God. He said, the secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship. You need glorious worship. You need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it. Moved to tears and moved to laughter. Moved by who God is and what he has done for you. Isaiah 40, towards the end, it says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. That is the God that we worship. So if you know the greatness of God, if we see his greatness, then we will not be anxious about the circumstances of our lives. If you see the greatness of God, we will not be overwhelmed by the state of our country. If you see the greatness of God, then we will not worry about the future for our children and our grandchildren. If you see the greatness of God, we will not carry all the weight of our life's problems. If you see the greatness of God, we will not stress over political elections. If we see the greatness of God, we will not be suffocated by guilt, believing that we could have done more. If we see the greatness of God, then we will not experience shame over how he made us and designed us. If we see the greatness of God, then we will not believe we are one decision away from ruining our lives. And if we see the greatness of God, then we will not fear what tomorrow brings. So let's behold the greatness of God. Number two, our offering to him reflects our knowledge of his greatness or our lack of knowledge. Verses 9 and 17 highlight that for us. It says in there that they offered willingly. It wasn't under compulsion. They weren't begrudging in their giving and their offering. And I want to highlight here too, I'm not just saying offering of possessions or money, but we offer our whole selves as living sacrifices to God. That's everything. We offer our time, our talents, our resources. 
And so when we behold his greatness, it leads us to offer willingly. It says they offered freely. It again says they offered freely. It again says they offered freely. And it says they offered joyously. So if we see the greatness of God, then we will offer freely. Three times it's highlighted in this passage. So how would we characterize our offering to the Lord? Would freely, joyously, and willingly be words that would be primary descriptors of our offering, of our time, our talents, and our resources to Almighty God? I would contend with you that I personally am praying that I would be a verse 11 offerer who would say, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and all that is in the earth is yours. I want to challenge you to pray that those five things would, would be in your mind as you seek to offer yourselves the greatness of God, the power of God, the glory of God, the victory of God, and the majesty of God. And number three, being wholehearted followers requires us to trust in the greatness of God. You see, the enemy of wholehearted devotion is self-reliance. Working with college students, I see that our culture embraces this doctrine that instead of looking upward, we are to look inward, to behold greatness. So the next generation is being told things like you need to follow your heart, you need to live your truth, be true to yourself, and your feelings define your identity. Look inward is what the culture is saying. The scripture is saying look upward. To look inward is a dangerous thing. Our limitations are obvious. David recognizes his limitations in verse 15. He says, our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no abiding. The scripture describes our lives in many ways like that. In Psalm 78, I just was reading this yesterday, it says, he remembered that they were but flesh, a wind that passes and comes not again. So just a breeze that blows through and is gone. James 4 says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Just whew, and gone, like a breath. If you're wondering about signs for aging kids, if you want to test this with your parents, um, I know that now I'm in my 40s. I know that's not really old to some of you. Some of you, that's ancient. I'm right in the middle. So if you want to test whether or not your parents are aging, I have a test for you. So this is what you do. You have a video or something on a smartphone, and you go up kind of by the side of your parent, and you hold it up close to their face, and then you watch their reaction. So if they're aging, what will happen is that they will turn, and the screen will be too close for their comfort, and they will do something like as if you just punched them in the nose. Their head will snap back, their eyes will squint, and then they're going to hold their hand up as if they're going to block the next punch. That's the sign that their vision is going. My wife and I do that. We hold things up to each other and we're like, whoa. For others, you're like, I'm at the point where I'm using maximum font and I've got three words every text on my screen and I'm just. One text that was like, have a good night is like this. So the signs of our weakness and our limitation and our aging is all around. So why would we look inward? Why would we not look upward to God? So to college students, we commend a different message. We commend a message of look to the skies, look to where your help comes from, and ultimately look to Jesus Christ, the ultimate proclamation of the greatness of God. 
The gospel is the ultimate revelation of the greatness of God. That he became a man and he took on what he didn't deserve so that you could be set free from sin and death. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might be the righteousness of God. We go to the nations so that when they look to the skies, they know the God that's behind them. So we go to the next generation. We go to the nations. We commend to the nations the message of Acts 4.12, that there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. So to trust in the greatness of God also means that we trust in his son. To trust in God is to trust in his son. This is what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God displays his glory through the face of Jesus Christ. Have you fallen on Christ for your salvation? If you recognize the greatness of God, then you have to recognize the greatness of Christ. In this passage, in verses 18 and 19, I want to commend to you a prayer that is prayed. And I want to challenge you to, to pray this often. It says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all. That's the prayer we need to pray. God, give me a whole heart, a that I would be a wholehearted follower of you, the great God of heaven. We cannot do it without his help. So in review, as we think about the greatness of God, number one, knowing God's greatness energizes our going and our still going. Number two, our offering to him reflects our knowledge of him or our lack of knowledge. So we want to be freely, willingly, we want to be joyous offerers. And number three, being wholehearted followers requires that we trust in the greatness of God. And the ways that we can go about doing that is look up often to the glory of God in the heavens. Look at the face of Jesus Christ to see the glory of God. Examine your offering. Is my offering freely and joyously, Lord? And number three, commit to that prayer out of verses 18 and 19, that God would grant us the fervor and the energy to forever have those purposes and thoughts in our hearts. So the mailbox story, that's for some of you, we're back. All right, March of 2013, it was acquired by Dropbox for $100 million, okay? Pretty good, 37 days, $100 million. That's a pretty good ratio. Seven months later, I'm sitting on that dock in Alabama praying for financial provision. Two days later, 48 hours on October 28th, it's a Monday, a gift appeared in our dwindling ministry account for thousands of dollars. That gift was from a man by the name of Scott Cannon. Scott Cannon was the co-founder of Mailbox. Now, what a coincidence that this sale that happened in March, right when our life started getting crazy and our need was coming in October, and we prayed, I prayed on October 26th. What a coincidence that 48 hours later, there's a gift that pops into our account from all of those happenings. What a coincidence that Scott, who was a friend of mine in youth group in Pennsylvania at age of 13, 
that we left Pennsylvania and about 20 years after our friendship and our time in youth group that he went on to Stanford and to work for Apple and then to launch a tech startup that sold for $100 million. And what an incredible coincidence that that $100 million kind of found a portion of its way down to us living in Georgia and me praying to God in Alabama and it came 48 hours after that prayer. What a coincidence or what an immeasurably great God who sees our need and it is too small a thing for him. Nothing is too hard for our God. Jeremiah 32 tells us that behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Look up, examine your offering, and commit to this prayer. The circumstances of our lives, the details of our every day are in the hand of Almighty God. And to him belongs all greatness, all power, all glory, all victory, and all majesty. Romans 11, and I close with this, says this, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he would be his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen.
if you're holding anything other than a child right now, would you just place it down, lay it down somewhere? And I want you to put your hands together and just clap into a great God right now. Amen. Amen. How great is our God. How great is our God. Amen. Amen. And if you haven't taken a moment to like just do a little bit of a 360 around you, just look around. Would you just look around? Look around you. It's okay. Like, like turn around and look. If somebody does this, like, jumps back at you, maybe you're, maybe you need a mint. I don't know. Hey, um, thank you, John. Praise the Lord. If you're a guest here today and you found your way to the green space on our property, um, you're amazing. Uh, thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. We haven't had a formal welcome time to one another, but don't leave. Don't walk away without uh, saying hello to somebody, maybe uh, introducing yourself to somebody that's close by as you walk toward your cars. And you're certainly free to stay as long as you want to stay here on the property. It's been wonderful to worship with you. Next Sunday, we begin our study in Psalms, and next Sunday also, uh, we begin Vacation Bible School. So pray. For this coming week, we'll be on the property Sunday night through Thursday. And uh, there's still room for you to help. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Go to watkinsville.org slash serve or slash events, either way. And uh, let's get ready for a big week of Vacation Bible School. I want to close with these words of blessing from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.